I'm, I'm reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, this simple verse. Many of you know it. You could recite it to us by heart. But this is from the Apostle Paul, and he says this. He says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. There's a uh, song by Shane and Shane that a couple of years ago became very meaningful to me, and it is one when I, where I go to very often when I don't understand and I hurt when uh, I see things around me that are so difficult to, to, to comprehend. And uh, it begins this way. It says, do you feel the world is broken? And the response is, we do. Do you feel the shadows deepen? We do. But do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? We do. Do you wish that we could all make it new? We do. Is all creation groaning? It is. Is a new creation coming? It is. Is the glory of the Lord to be the light within our midst? It is. It is, is it good that we remind ourselves of this? It is. And then the song takes us to Revelation 6, when the scrolls containing God's purpose for humanity and his will for us. And, and this, the question is, is anyone worthy to open the seal? The Lion of Judah, who conquered the grave, is worthy. I'm not going to recount this morning what happened at that elementary school in Uvalde, Texas. You know, this, however, just happened days after a shooting in California at a church. That was a day after another racially motivated mass shooting occurred in Buffalo, New York. Fleming Rutledge wrote, Something is terribly wrong with the world and needs to be set right. With children slaughtered and the cold calculating murder of humans almost normalized in our culture today, I can't help but wonder, where is God? We wonder if life can be snuffed out so easily and so senselessly with so much hatred and so unfairly. Does life actually mean anything at all? Will there ever be justice, really? And how? Should we respond? Well, on Thursday morning, as I was coming into church, I was listening to NPR as they covered a prayer vigil in Uvalde. I found it interesting that in the background, you could hear the song that was being sung by the hundreds and hundreds of people who had come to mourn together. They sang, I need thee, oh, I need thee. Every hour I need Thee. Oh, bless me now, my Savior, I come to Thee. You know, I, I thought as I listened to that, it's, it's very telling, isn't it? That even in our extreme secular age, when we face tragedy and evil, where do we go? We still go to God. We still come back to this utter need for God. 
And I, I guess that's why I stand before you this morning to proclaim a truth to you that gives hope in the midst of the darkness. Because for those of us who follow Jesus, we find an answer. And it's, it's odd at first. It's unexpected to be sure. But that answer comes in the cross of Jesus Christ. It is at the cross where all the suffering and darkness and sin and evil meet the power and love and redemption of God. Because one day a man died and the world really did change. Now think about that. Every day in our world, the reality is people die. In fact, about two every second, or 105 every minute, or 56 million people a year in every way imaginable through old age or disease, disaster, violence, but one day, 2,000 years ago, the Bible tells us that a good man, a very good man, the best man, died a harsh death, a cruel death, the worst death, out of love for you and me. Paul is writing here to young Christians at the church in Corinth. And they have many questions, and Paul's letter is an attempt to answer some of those questions and answering the questions of worship and meaning and life itself and what it looks like to follow Jesus Christ in a world that does not follow him. And so he writes these words, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. Here, Paul, of course, is dividing humanity into two distinct groups of people. He says there are those who are perishing, and there are those who are being saved. Now, I just want you to know that this is not Paul making some crude threat to just get people to endorse his particular religion. He's not manipulating people into making a, an emotional commitment of some kind. No, what Paul is doing is simply making an observation. He's saying to every person, every person in this room who is listening to me online, that you are an unceasing individual. You are going to live forever. You were made to live forever. And you are either moving toward God and all that is noble and all that is good and all that is holy and beautiful, or you are moving away from him and all the impact and, that that represents. And Paul then says those who are being saved are being saved not by themselves, but by the very power of God, by the power of God. And that power comes in a way that we would not expect. The power of God comes through the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, we say that Jesus was a good man, and he was, but if you think about it, the Romans didn't think so. The religious leaders didn't think so. They saw him as a threat, and so they killed him. And yet Jesus insisted on this. And each of the Gospels, by the way, has this in some form, where Jesus says, I laid down my life on my own. They didn't take it from me. In fact, in John 10, he says this, no one takes it, my life, from me, 
but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. And so Jesus died, and we know the story. He died on Friday, and the Romans and the Jewish leaders thought that that's the end of the story. Until three days later, when they realized that they heard the rumors that Jesus had flunked death, his followers began to go back, and they thought about what he had taught and how he had lived, and they began to see the Old Testament in a different light through the lens of his life and his coming. And so they began to ask God for guidance, and it began to dawn on them that the cross, which of course to them initially looked like failure, humiliation, Disaster, the end of it all. Instead, they realized that the cross was the missing piece of the puzzle. In fact, it pulled everything together. It made sense of all that they knew about God and humanity. Nobody would have written this story, but the cross is what brought God and humanity together. And so in God's Word, we talked about this last week. We see this over and over again in the Scriptures. There is the great reversal. And so we see evidence of this when we see that those who are called by God blessed, the world says, well, they're unblessed, or the first will be last, or the last will be first. The poor are the rich. The, the ones who, who give up their lives are the ones who live to God. Weakness is strength. Service is greatness. We see this great reversal again and again in Scripture. And the reason that can happen, the reason we have this great reversal occurring is because in the cross, we also have the great exchange. And it's available to any person who would be willing to accept it. When we come into this place, we are reminded that I come here to exchange my guilt for his innocence my woundedness for his healing my weakness for his strength my brokenness for his wholeness and my death for his life the message of the cross says that something is wrong with this world it needs to be set right and God answers that and he comes in the way that only God could and he does it at the cross. This morning, I, I want to very briefly, I have a very simple task, but a very important one. I want to remind you of several truths about the cross today. First, I want to remind you that the cross, at the cross, our guilt is pardoned. Peter understood this. Of course, if you remember, Peter knew all about guilt and he knew all about the cross. And this is what Peter would write about the crucifixion. He said, when they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. He himself bore our sins and in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray now we we all know about guilt and we don't like to think about guilt we don't like to talk about guilt but have you ever had the experience of seeing those blue and red flashing lights behind you in the mirror 
That's happened to me three times in my life when they were coming after me. Three times. One, uh, the first time I was crossing the border into Pennsylvania when Mary and I were first dating. She was living out there in PA and just crossed the border and one of the police picked me up and he was pretty surly about it, I'll be honest with you. The second time, uh, I was in Columbus, Ohio. I was headed again to Pennsylvania. This was the week I was getting married to Mary. And so, again, I got picked up. Third time, I was, uh, I was coming home to Mary from a leader's retreat. And uh, I had been speaking that weekend at the retreat. And, and if you know me well enough, and anyone who does know me knows this is true, when I am done speaking, like on a Sunday morning when I'm done preaching, my brain is mush. I'm just in a fog. I shouldn't really be driving anywhere after I'm done speaking. But here I am. I'm trying to get home from this leader's retreat. We're on the east side of Cleveland somewhere. And I'm just shut down. I'm kind of in this fog. And I end up getting on the turnpike, but I'm going the wrong direction. Instead of going west, I'm going east. And I had no idea. Again, I, it took me a while before I woke up, and I realized I'm almost at the PA border. And so I figure out how to get, a, you know, because once you're on the turnpike, you're on the turnpike for a while. And so as I get turned around, I'm just trying to make up time, you know. I'm trying to make up for the lost time that I, I've, I've given up over. The, well, it turned out I wasn't going to make up time because... Pretty soon I see a red and blue light flashing in my mirror. And what made it worse was I wasn't wearing my seatbelt. So as I saw that light in the back of my uh, mirror, I began to think about this, realizing I didn't have my seatbelt on. So I just kind of casually went over there. And before I stopped, I put that thing on and then stopped casually and thinking, okay, you know, at least they won't get me for that. Well, it turns out he must have known what I had done. I don't know how he could have known because not only did I get a ticket for speeding, he gave me a ticket for not wearing a seatbelt. And what made that so humiliating to me was this. Not only did he know I was a speeder, he knew I was a deceiver too. Guilt. That's an ugly thing. I think we all know about that. The message of the cross is something is wrong with this world, but let me tell you this. It needs to be set right to be sure, but that something is not just outside of us. It's not primarily economics or politics or ideologies. It's not primarily sociological, technological, or, or biological. It is wrongness and moral failure within us, within you, within me. And we know this. It's not just a speeding ticket. It's deceit. It's turning a blind eye to the poor day after day after day. It's it's. Being a distant parent, not taking responsibility for your children. It's cruelty and lust and gossip. It's racism and injustice and hatred. But it's not just out there. It's in here. It's in me. And sometimes we just got to wake up and realize we're going the wrong way. 
In Jesus, in the cross, God does something no one would have expected. Followers of Jesus, Jesus noticed something as they, they puzzled over the cross. They, they realized, my goodness, when Jesus was crucified, everybody was guilty. Pilate, he's guilty of great injustice. The Pharisees were guilty of envy. The soldiers were guilty of cruelty. The crowds were guilty of mockery. Even the disciples, they were guilty of cowardice and denial and betrayal. Everybody was guilty, guilty, guilty. Everybody except one person, Jesus. He was the innocent one. And yet he allowed himself to be judged guilty and all of the penalty to fall on him alone. And so in the cross, we see this vast, this vast guilt of human sin, ugliness, violence, injustice, and hatred. But we also see God's demonstration in Jesus to offer mercy and forgiveness at the ultimate cost to himself. And so if you come to the cross and you make this great exchange, the reality is, my friend, when you do that in faith, you don't have to go through this life and you don't have to go through death worrying about the flashing lights in the rearview mirror anymore. Because the apostle Paul wrote, therefore, there is now, after the cross, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I don't know about you, but that's good news. That's glorious news. That's the gospel we get to preach. But it goes further than that. The cross also means that in Jesus' blood, we are given life. In 1 John, we read these words, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Now, I, I realize that in our world, the idea that the image here is, is difficult for a lot of us. But if you know much about the Bible, the New Testament is filled with references to the blood of Jesus. The writer of Acts says that the church was bought with the blood of Christ. Paul says that we have been reconciled to God and each other through his blood. The writer of Hebrews says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Now, I realize, you know, we, we try to live in a pretty bloodless world, notwithstanding some of the things we see on the news. But we stay away from the butcher shops, and we don't have much experience with that kind of world. But listen, in ancient days, you were right there. You were front and center with your food and how it was uh, how, how you got your food and so they were very familiar that it took the animal to die in order for you to live so you could eat and, and have life and so they were very familiar with that kind of image they were very aware of this and so the practice of sacrifice in fact sacrifices were given to all the gods it was a universal practice of the ancient world but here's what's interesting to me one of the striking things that you see about the people of Israel and through the prophets was that this ritual of sacrifice at its heart was not what God wanted for the human race. The psalmist says, you do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. 
You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. That's what God wanted. He wanted most of all, and he got it through Jesus Christ. On the cross, when it says that Jesus shed his blood, it means that he gave up his life, everything, and he offered himself as a sacrifice that would end all sacrifices once and forever. And so on the cross, Jesus becomes the lamb that was slain, and out of his sacrifice comes life for us. I was reading the story this week of a medic in World War II named Max. Part of his job was he would go into the battlefield during the war and try to save wounded soldiers, often with blood transfusions as they laid there dying. But as a medic, of course, he was not only charged with assisting and helping with allied soldiers, but if he came across an enemy soldier, it was his obligation to help, help one of them too, even if they were Nazi soldiers. Well, cleverly, he says, they devised a system. They would save blood that had been given to them by donors of a Jewish name. And when there was a Nazi soldier dying from the loss of blood, Max would say, you can be saved, but only if you are willing to receive the blood from a Jewish donor. He said, sometimes the soldier in his stubbornness and pride would say, no, I'd rather die. Well, they'd let him pass out, and then they'd save him anyway. But you know what the irony there is, too? Even those Nazi soldiers, they would have said that they were Christians, saved by the blood of a Jewish carpenter. The blood gives us freedom and hope and redemption. Fourth, I want you to know the cross is our reminder that the grave has been overthrown. Part of the message of the cross is that there is a great battle going on between powers that are vast and awful, and one of those powers is death. And death is an awful thing. I, I found it interesting this week, there was a study done not too long ago of sympathy cards. And often when somebody dies, we'll send someone a sympathy card. When someone dies and we send a sympathy card, however, guess what word never is used on the card? Death. It never says, I'm so sorry this person died. It's just too ugly in a word to use. We find a nicer way of saying it. We all know in our hearts that the death is the enemy. But another power in the Bible that is named is sin. And we don't like to talk about sin in our culture. We trivialize it way too often. But boy, we saw it this week in Uvalde. I'd have you think about this. How many of us have ever told someone, you know, I was wrong? I've done that. I was wrong. But have you ever told someone I'm evil. That word, there's a whole other degree. Wrong suggests an error that could be fixed. You know, a computer goes wrong, a toaster goes wrong, but evil's different. 
Computer's not evil. Only people can devise evil things. Evil is too much for us. What happened in that school this week was not just wrong, it was evil. Paul reminds us our struggle, however, is not against flesh and blood. Sometimes we get this wrong. Your enemy is never people. Whatever their race or politics or sexuality or behavior, something is wrong with the world and it needs to be set right. And the cross is the place where the great destructive powers all came together, sin and death and evil, and they sought to crush Jesus. All that cruelty, all that hate, thought it had won, but they did not realize that he would triumph by love and suffering and forgiveness to the end. He triumphed through suffering love. Paul, in fact, says this. He says, Jesus, having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. There are many forces in this world. There are many political systems and broken cultures and idea systems, the power of rampant addiction, which is simply demonic in the destruction that it yields in our culture causes us to waste our lives in the most trivial of ways. And so we numb ourselves with entertainment or drink or pornography. We numb ourselves with worshiping money and we tolerate immorality and we cherish bitterness. But Paul says, on the cross, all of those powers met their match. And Jesus absorbs our suffering and all that evil, and yet his love was stronger. And so those things, they could stop his lungs from breathing, but what we discern is, is that they could not start it, stop his heart from loving. And he kept loving. And they didn't know. But when Jesus died, hate died. Death died. Sin died. And love wins. I just want to remind you this morning, listen, he died for you. This Memorial Day weekend, we want to give thanks for those who make a sacrifice to defend our country, and that is appropriate. But Paul said this, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You know, the cross always does something. It always brings us to a point of decision. Some people reject that message. Some people say it's foolishness, it's folly. Others, I think, just try to, to procrastinate. Well, I'll get to it someday. Others, I think, just get distracted. 
We are so good at that. And so we find something more to do to keep us busy, to keep our minds off of eternal things. But then, just every once in a while, there comes a moment when a person says, yes. And so they come to the cross and they make a decision. They bend their knee, they give their heart, and they surrender their lives to Christ. Paul said it this way, I have been crucified with Christ, and I, my ego, my selfishness, my self-centeredness, no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Can I ask you this morning, have you made a decision? You know, next week we're going to give uh, our, our folks an opportunity to express that decision. We're going to do the, the uh, ritual of baptism allowing our folks to publicly express their own commitment and their own moment when they made a decision for Christ. I'd encourage you, if you've not done that, to consider doing it again, uh, to, to, do, to consider again doing that, because this is God's will for us, that we would walk with him, that we would know him, that we would know with certainty we belong to him. And one of the ways that we can do that is in his community. Would you pray with me? Father, I, I thank you that uh, as we gather this morning that we remember the significance of the cross. We know that, Lord, your life was precious, that you were perfect, and you didn't have to come, but you came because you loved each of us. And Lord, once again this morning, we are reminded of that grace. And Lord, I just suspect that there's someone here today that this message is for. And that, Lord, you would allow them to say yes to your gift. That the power of God would work in their heart and their mind, and they would determine. And Lord, they can't do it by themselves. That they need you. Lord, would you set the world right today? by taking one person and adding them to your kingdom. May they be sensitive to your spirit. May they not consider the cross foolishness, but their glory. Because you are good, and you're calling them now. I'm going to invite you to stand as a congregation, and I'd just like you to have just a moment of reflection Listen, friend, if you said yes to Jesus, maybe you did it years ago, and would you just thank him? I don't know about you, but I need to hear the gospel again and again because I forget. I forget how good God is and how wonderful, Lord, the story is about your redemption work. I take for granted sometimes, Lord, why I can proclaim I'm a child of God. And maybe you just want to say thank you, Lord. Thank you for what you've done for me. 
But maybe you've not made that decision yet. Maybe this is your day. Why not let it be today? And you say, Lord, I, I've wandered. I've gone astray. I've done my own thing. But Lord, I, I see in a fresh way what the cross means. And I pray, Lord, that you would allow me to, to say yes to your gift. And I give you myself. I surrender my life to you. And help me to live the rest of my days for you. That I repent of my sin. And accept you as my Savior. Help me, Lord, to walk worthy of the life that you've called me to. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for the cross. And friend, if that is your prayer, if that is where you are this morning, I just want to welcome you into the kingdom. And I just ask you to make sure you tell somebody. Make sure you say, tell someone about that experience. And maybe consider joining us next week for the baptisms. Lord, I pray that you will have your way in our service. Speak, Lord, your servants are listening. Amen.